Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and all ate and were filled. Mark chapter six, verses 41 and 42. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. I'm excited about today. We are talking about, this is a standalone, mm-hmm. we don't do that many standalone sermons. Most of our stuff is ser- our series. Uh, but this was World Communion Sunday, and uh, I had a chance to preach. But I want to start by talking to Reagan about where she was until like, Nine o'clock on Monday, Sunday morning now. But you were in Maine last week. Yes, I was in Maine. One of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. So tell us about it. So uh, my husband and I, Scott, are celebrating our 10-year anniversary in November, mm-hmm. but this was our only time to get away. And uh, Many people were intrigued by the pumpkin spice Pop-Tarts, by the way. <laughs> oh, they were? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, from last week's <laughs> Yeah, from last Sorry. Call back to last week. And uh, so we went... You know, going up to that, to Maine, I think Maine's kind of on everyone's bucket list. Should be. Um, and because of COVID and all that, we didn't really want to go to a big city. Hmm. So we're like, let's go somewhere. And like the vaccination rate in like Portland, Maine was where we were. It was like 98%. So we were like, we felt good. Um, but we basically just ate a lot of food. <laughs> we stayed in this charming bed and breakfast. We got to meet people from, you know, I love, surprise, surprise, I love talking and meeting new people. Mm-hmm. And so getting to hear from them like what to do the, and the accents are classic yes we one night we ate at the the best restaurant in town oh uh, yeah it was really expensive too like portland's just expensive their food um but we sat Did you have lobster yes okay good. so i gotta say there i discovered a lot of seafood i don't like yeah. but lobster's not on the list well i wasn't crazy about the lobster roll oh, i had a lobster roll Okay. Yeah. Was it on a piece of bread? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so you did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm learning. I'm doing a lot of things wrong. Um, but no, it was great. Um, Do you know but, how to cook a lobster? You ever seen a lobster get cooked? Mm-mm. Very circle of life. Well, you put their head in, right? First uh, in the boiling water. You just kind of drop them in the boiling pot yeah. and cover it real quick because they'll flip their tail <laughs> when they hit the water. Not surprisingly. It's a little it's hot. pretty grim. But man, it's tasty. Yeah. So... It was great. Um, we went to Acadia National Park one day and hiked. And you drove. So uh, tell me about the colors. How were the colors? So I have to say they weren't great. Because uh, um, the summer wasn't good or whatever. Did they talk, they talk about it? So while we were there, an alert came on my phone from like National Weather and talking about the weather changes. They expect that they're not going to have as many colors. Hmm. Not not just in Maine, but just other places that are used to the fall. Right, climate we, change? Yeah, I think oh. so. So we saw a little bit, a little bit more as we went north when we went to Acadia. Um, but it was still, I mean, it's just, as you know, it's just a beautiful place. Yeah, yeah. And the houses are just so darn cute with their like porches and their pumpkins and their fall decorations, <laughs> which actually makes sense there because it feels like fall. <laughs> so, so yeah, okay. One of your pictures, you had a hat on. Was it cold? Yeah. Like uh, a stocking cap or something. It was like, it got down to like 50s. Okay. So it was and like. And on the, I mean, on the ocean, like if you're at Acadia, that's. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a little chilly, but it felt great. So 
a couple of nights we sat outside and ate. And so mm. it was a little, it was a little chilly. That rocky coastline, man. So gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So what other kind of seafood do you not like? Uh, we had mussels. Oh. Did not like okay. those. And scallops. You don't like scallops? I didn't like the scallops. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you are from the center of the country. I am. So this is all new for we you. We don't even know what scallops are <laughs> in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> um, but, I mean, we ate the food. Other We had these carrots. I know that sounds dumb. We had these <laughs> carrots at this restaurant. Uh, they're literally like the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> so thumbs, thumbs down on the lobster, but yeah. thumbs up on the carrots. But the carrots. That's very, that's very great plan to you. <laughs> so go to Maine. Get some carrots. But we went to the L.L. Bean store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they happened in Freeport, and they actually had like a fall festival. Oh, awesome. So they had all these little cute artists. and Yeah. So we got Isn't to, that cool? It's a cool little town. Yeah. And did you get uh, – did you have blueberries? Yes. Oh, my gosh. The blueberries mm. yeah. were amazing. That's yeah. great. So, yeah, it was right. awesome. Now you made me want to go back to Maine. Yeah. I was stationed there in the Navy many years ago. Yeah. And loved it. Everyone should go to Maine. True. All right. So what are we talking about today? Okay. So we're talking about your sermon. All right. Um, and World Communion. So yeah. – did World- you guys always celebrate World Communion at Lover's Lane? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked how we had everyone, uh, we, or we had people from our church sharing their own language. Mm-hmm. That was really, mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Um, and those were all church members. Yeah. So we had German and Japanese, Japanese and um, Spanish and Ooh. Korean. And Latin, right? We'll come back to the Latin. Okay. And then Hosa. Which is awesome. It's a great language from South Africa. Oh, okay. And that was Fez. Um, and then the joke I made with my family is that Jason did Latin and he would only speak Latin if we let him. <laughs> That's my joke. Okay. He's, or German. Yeah. <laughs> it's a musician thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it was very impressive. So I like that kind of stuff. So do you speak, did you take another language when you're in college I'd, or high uh, I did French a couple of years, which, cause that's really usable in Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't like remember any. Did you go to France? Have you been to France? Yes. I've been to France a couple of times. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh yeah. I mean, Europe's just phenomenal too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Scott took quite a bit of Spanish and he, he can carry a conversation. Mm-hmm. Did he study in Spain? No. He Mexico? Hasn't, he hasn't been like anywhere. All right. Yeah. He can add Maine to the list though. He can't add Maine. <laughs> it's true. Excellent. Um, and you speak Russian. I do. Anything else? I forgot. Uh, that's not enough. Russian. Well, I know it's like the equivalent of like four languages. <laughs> no, I, I took think. Latin and <laughs> I took French when I was in junior high. Okay. And then uh, Latin when I was in, <laughs> I was giving Jason a hard time about Latin, but I took Latin for like three years, uh, maybe two years in high school because it helps you for the SAT. Mm-hmm. Well, I loved it actually, Latin. Okay. And then Greek went um, in seminary. Okay. You have to say something in Russian. A little bit of Spanish. Something, say something yeah, in Russian? Yeah, because I love Russian. Because I follow some Russian people on TikTok. Uh-huh. And saying really nice things can sound really mad. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's like awesome. Angry. It's such an awesome language. So uh, Whitney and the boys uh, love it when – like she <laughs> she gives me a hard time about some of the Russian stuff. To say I love you in Russian mm-hmm. is ya люблю тебя. And they just think that's the funniest thing. Because <laughs> it's, it's like you're going – but it's, it's literally, yeah. You sound like, you sound yeah. like Joey from Friends when he tries to learn French. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Sounds like exactly the same to me. Blah, blah, blah. Um, that was awesome. I mean, thank you. Yes. Здравствуйте is hello. До свидания, of course, everybody knows that. Goodbye. I get, and I know quite a bit of profanity in Russian, but I won't say any of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I only, I learned the profanity because when I was in college, 
there was a, a guy who was a linguist. Mm-hmm. He, he and I were in ROTC together. He was a Marine, mm-hmm. former enlisted, was becoming an officer. And he had taken uh, uh, Russian at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, which you have to, if you're going to be like an intel person, you have mm-hmm. to take language there. Mm-hmm. And so he, he learned all of this, uh, all these colloquialisms and all of these, I mean, just filthy, filthy phrases. So I, I, those I don't have any problem coming coming to mind. I don't know why, but I won't I won't say any of them because we never know. We may have some Russian speaking listeners, and yeah. that would be offensive. Mm-hmm. That could be a sound bite, though, and no one would know, right? <laughs> some Russian words. Um, okay, so let's get back on topic, or just begin. We never started. Um, okay, so World Communion. You kind of gave the origins. Can you tell us how it came to be? Well, so it started in 1933 at. Uh, church called Shadyside Presbyterian in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't know why. I don't know what the story is, why yeah. that particular pastor decided to start it. But then in 1940, the Federal Council of Churches, as it was known then, actually mm-hmm. the Federal, Councils of, Federal Council of Churches of Christ in America uh, adopted it. And so it became kind of a national ecumenical, um, not a holiday, but commemoration then. Mm-hmm. And it was in, that was in the middle of World War II, or I guess kind of at the beginning of World War II for us actually before the beginning of World War II for us, but the world was quickly headed that direction. Yeah. So it became a, a, you know, kind of a symbol of unity. Yeah. In a broken world. And now that federal council, I think it's called the National Church Council of Churches. I Googled some stuff. I was just curious. It represents Anglican, Baptist, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran, Methodist, Moravian, Oriental Orthodox, Polish, National Catholic, Presbyterian, and Reformed traditions of Christianity. Nice. Catholic Church is not in there. Just, I mean, they're kind of, they're already a global church. So. Yeah. Um, so do you know when uh, then we adopted our own – or not adopted, but created our own liturgy for World Communion? It would have been around that time? Or do you know? I don't know. That's a great question. Okay. I don't know when the I, – I assume the Methodist Church started observing it in 1940. Okay. But, I, but the Book of Worship came out – I don't know. Okay. Good question. I was just curious because we have a, a lot of adapted – communion word and table for like special oh, yeah, occasions. Yeah. So I was just yeah. wondering how I'm we... sure it was the publication date of that. Yeah. I'll have to that look that resource, up now. But I, I think it was maybe early nineties. Okay. And I know, I know the lectionary. So when you look up the lectionary in the book of worship, it runs out in 2020. And when I was in seminary, I thought it was because it says you know, year A, year B, year C. Yeah. And it, it went through 2020. I thought, ah, oh, they'll, they'll publish a new one by then. It'd be years before. And <laughs> lo and behold, I had, I've now had to write in another column. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who knew? Um, and then, so nothing, nothing else that the federal council of churches has impacted the Methodist church that you know of? Not, not that I'm know. aware of. Okay. I was just curious what other decisions or things that have done. I mean, I think it's just a, a body for global, I mean, for national cooperation across churches, yeah. the mainline churches. Okay. I may have to investigate, but, um, okay. So you talked about, there's a lot of differences in Christianity, um, and so I was just curious, has there ever been a church experience that was really hard for you to connect with or where you felt out of place? Like if you visited a church or. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I was raised in a very traditional Catholic church. So any, I have a lot of family that are Baptists. And so uh, I'm Southern Baptist. I'm talking about. So um, I've been to a fair number of Southern Baptist services. And um, that is not my way of connecting. Okay. In worship, because it's just a very, very different style. That's not a judgment either. That's just a description. Mm-hmm. So, um, I like the liturgy. 
you know, we've added a couple of liturgical pieces back to our Sunday service. Even when we started a modern service in Sherman, we had a bunch of liturgical stuff in there. So anything that's light on liturgy, I have a little bit of a harder time with. Um, also, I've been to a, a Pentecostal service, and uh, there was some speaking in tongues stuff that just was very outside my experience. So I, that kind of stuff doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable in a Coptic Orthodox church <laughs> where the liturgy is in Copt, which is the Arabic version of Latin, basically, okay. and Arabic, <laughs> than I am at some of these other types of churches in my own language. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's how, that's how I feel when I go to Catholic church. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, really? I feel a little awkward. The whole, like, when you, like, kneel or when you yeah, sit yeah. down and, like, all, I, I always feel really... I feel always really out of place sure. when I'm at a Catholic Well, then church. there's a whole, like, the, that, an entire Catholic service builds up to communion, mm-hmm. and you can't go. And then I can't go. Right. So I'm like, yeah. I'm I'm going through the whole thing, and I don't even get the treat at the end, you know? <laughs> so I mean, you can go and get a blessing, but then you're, like, marking yourself off. Like, I you're know. supposed to cross your arms, like, right. don't serve And me. that's when I went to her, I'm like, hey, I'm ordained, thank you very much, okay? <laughs> I can do this in my church. I can serve, but whatever. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> So let's continue. Okay. So there was a lot of segments in your sermon that as I, I got to listen to it at least once live and, but then reading it, I was like, oh, this is really good. Okay. So you, you say this, uh, there are Christians of every nationality, race and language from a broad range of ideological and political perspectives representing the full span of human, uh, the full span of human experience and social and economic location. All of this is due to the appeal of the gospel in every human context through the power of the Holy Spirit as the message of Christ is carried throughout the world. Mm-hmm. There's tremendous beauty and power in our diversity as a global movement. On World Communion Sunday in particular, we have the chance to celebrate the diversity of our movement. So why is it important to celebrate our diversity? Yeah, that's really <laughs> – there's a lot there. So, um, And there's a lot of ways we could take that. Okay. <laughs> that part of the conversation. But I would say um, one way that that it's important that, to uh, remember the diversity of the church, I think, is to keep ourselves from being self-centered, mm. frankly. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, we're – as Americans, we're used to being the center of power, economic power, military power in the world, certainly in this generation um, and really for most of the 20th century. And so it's easy to – think that the world kind of revolves around us, <laughs> but we're kind of, well, I mean, the story of Christianity, we're kind of latecomers to it really. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's good to, to remember that we are part of a whole that we're as part of the, like, you know, Paul has the great metaphor of the body of Christ and every, every, uh, part has its role to play and that kind of thing. Um, which was Paul's way of saying that no one part of the church is more important than any other, no matter what your role is, no matter who you are. And so I think that's important. Um, it also helps us, I think, be more sensitive to the needs of the rest of the world okay. uh, when it comes to like missional, missional activity. It keeps us, um, it helps us remember the, the kind of like missions I'm, I'm using there as a, uh, uh, like mercy ministries kind of term. And then there's the mission of the church, which is to, preach the gospel everywhere. And uh, so I think all of that is important. And I mean, obviously I I mentioned in the sermon that we preach from the lectionary about 60% of the time. And then about 40% of the time we're doing other things that are maybe more particularly focused on our context and our our needs here. 
which is really important, at least one Sunday of the year, it's good to remember that we're just part of the whole, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to celebrate. I think people will think, okay, we're either diverse or reunited. And I'm like, well, you could, you can be mm-hmm. both. And mm-hmm. so learning to live and celebrate your differences and also kind of at the end of the day, which World Communion kind of lifted up, okay, what's our foundational thing that we are, that brings us all together? Mm-hmm. So yeah. It was, it was and every Methodist church I've been in has celebrated World Communion Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are actually, well, I think, unless the discipline's been updated, I think there are six special Sundays with offering in the United Methodist Church. Very few Methodists could name all six. In fact, I'm not even sure I could name all yeah. six off the top of my head. The one that everybody recognizes, I, that's overstated, the one that the most number of churches recognize, I think, would be World Communion Sunday. And when you do the special offering for World Communion Sunday, that's for uh, global students. Okay. Uh, it's like seminary students from other countries, which is interesting because as, as part of our connection, you know, to preach mm-hmm. the gospel everywhere. Um, but not very many churches do the special, even if they, they recognize the special Sunday, very few do the special offering. Yeah. I was like, was I supposed to say that in the offering no, yesterday? No, no. Cause I sure did. No, we haven't, we haven't done that okay. uh, here. This has not been our practice. Well, it's not just been, not been our practice here. It's not been our practice here on this particular Sunday, anywhere I've ever been. Yeah. I don't think we did that at Lover's Lane either. Okay. Um, okay. So you've lived in different places. You served in the Navy, you grew up Catholic. And so how, how have you seen people in those different places um, experience God in different ways? And how has that shaped you? Like, do you think it varies? Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah, so- yeah. I think um, I think the tradition in which you're raised absolutely shapes the way you experience God. Some traditions are more contemplative. Some traditions lean more on the spoken word, like the sermon. Some are more focused on prayer. Um, and I think... I, it's an open question once you become an adult, like what speaks to you, but the way you're raised certainly has lifelong influences, I think. Um, and so, you know, like in my case, I like, I like liturgy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love modern worship, but I love liturgical pieces in modern worship. Um, and I think despite that though, despite the differences, the different ways people experience God, the, the common, uh, the commonality among cultures and among worship styles and among theological traditions in the, in the Christian movement anyway, is our clear understanding that each of us has a need that only Christ can fill. And so all of those culture within each cultural context and theological context and worship context, all of that is to help connect us to that, the source that can meet that need. And what makes communion Sunday, world communion Sunday, such a cool thing to recognize, I think, is that even the churches that are very, um, uh, let's see, that have a very low emphasis on liturgy still do communion at some point. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them only do it every quarter <laughs> and yeah. then some do it every week, but it's a, a thing that we all share. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Okay. So I guess like your buddies in the Navy that maybe were either Catholic or, or I guess just Christian in general, like, do you feel like they experienced or, um, uh, related to a, a particular attribute of God more than like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I don't know. Some people are like, I really love that God is, um, maybe some people are like, I love that God's kind of like this, uh, if they read old Testament, like that God's this warrior, like mm-hmm. a champion. Mm-hmm. Some people like really cling to that depending on maybe their experience where they live or some people, are like, I love that God's like this comforter. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Do you ever see people relating? 
That's a that's a good question. I that probably just I mean some of that is part of what just what you're familiar with, mm-hmm. what feels comfortable. Part of it is uh, by choice when you're an adult. I think what resonates most with you, maybe personality, maybe mm-hmm. theological. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, disposition, like mm-hmm. how you're, like you're just what you resonate with, kind of naturally. What's interesting about the the Navy stuff is that uh, on a Navy base and on a ship. Like the destroyer I was on didn't have its own. We had a chapel, a little chapel thing, kind of, but we didn't have our own clergy person. Not everybody okay. gets a chaplain. Um, but you get the chaplain that you get, and that chaplain is ecumenical. <laughs> and so, um, with Catholics and and non-Catholics, it's a little bit of a distinction because that's a pretty big difference. But if you are, say, a Presbyterian and you end up with a Methodist chaplain, then that it's that chaplain's job is just to do a kind of general. Christian service. And I think that, like, I, I, it took some getting used to because I was, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic by yeah. the time I was still Catholic. But it's, um, it's a good, it's actually, it's a, it's a very ecumenical way of doing mm-hmm. ministry. You know what I mean? Like, you, the differences are muted and the commonalities are emphasized, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm not sure that I really answered your question. No, no, I was just, no, I think you did. I was just curious. Okay. Another paragraph I really liked from your mm-hmm. sermon. Just bragging. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this date each year the, on World Communion Sunday, every first Sunday of October, even as we celebrate the incredible cultural diversity that comes with being a global church, we're called to look past the disagreements and differences among the various flavors of Christians to remind ourselves that all 2.5 billion of us have the same Lord, the same host at the table. Because in the midst of all of our differences, we're all part of the same family of God. Um, so you kind of touched on this, but what? <laughs> Not everybody believes that, by the way. Okay. So, <laughs> so I guess talk about that. I think those, I think there are some, like I, I made the point in the sermon that our theological differences are not minor. Reading the, like we as Methodists do not read the Bible in a fundamentalist way. Mm-hmm. And that's not a minor difference. So, um, I mean, the fact that there are four, over 41,000 Christian denominations is yeah. probably a reflection on our brokenness. Four or five probably would make sense <laughs> though, because there are some pretty big differences. Right. And I don't want to minimize those, but ultimately, uh, we all we all serve the same Lord. I mean, we all place our faith in the same Jesus, and so uh, we. I mean, I, the whole point of grace is that there's a pretty big margin for error, <laughs> I think, and who's in a right relationship and not. Um, but ultimately, it's. I think it's good. It's healthy to have a respect for the differences, um, and not be judgmental about the differences. But to be clear that we're all part of the family of God. Mm-hmm. So the Baptists might read the Bible differently than we do. Um, does it mean they're bad? Of course not. Does it mean they're wrong? Well, maybe on some theology. <laughs> but ultimately, none of us are going to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my opinion. Just a Methodist opinion. So ultimately, none of us are going to know the side of heaven. So um, I think this is a good day. It seems like it's a it, like it seems like a contradiction to celebrate both our diversity and our unity. Right. But I don't think it needs to be because um, there, there's like this, there's this meta view where we're all, we all have our trust in the same deity and God's pretty clear that we screw up a lot yeah, and has been pretty consistently gracious about that. <laughs> so um, we probably shouldn't get bogged down in the differences. Yeah. There are a lot of denominations that do though. Mm-hmm. If you didn't do your baptism right, yeah. you do it again. It didn't, you, didn't count. If you want, if you don't believe a certain thing about communion, you can't come. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate, but those are my, I mean, my view is that that's, those are human limitations that we place on 
we put a finite limitation on the infinite love of God. Okay. Which I don't think is healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What well, kind of like what you said while you said maybe some theology could be wrong. I feel like you always approach people that read things or believe things. You're like, well, that's a different way of looking at it. And maybe if we said more of that instead of just straight, well, that's wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> that maybe there'd be a little bit better conversations instead uh-huh. of just like immediately saying, well, I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah. And being well, like, I yeah, don't know. Like your old boss at Lover's Lane. I think we probably talked about this on the podcast too at some point, but leading up to the last general conference where we just can't seem to agree to disagree about human sexuality. He said, what if we started all of our conversations with, I may be wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, what if we just started that way? Instead of me worrying about whether you're wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how about if I just get clear on my own convictions and just have a little, th- little humility about that? Yeah. I think that would be a much better, um, I think we'd be much more likely to be in community with people who don't see the world exactly the way we do mm-hmm. if we could do that. But yeah. that's not what we're good at. No, we're, you know, we're like part of the human condition is that we feel safest when we're with people who agree with us. And so we're always looking for these distinctions. You know, we, we revel in the distinctions. <laughs> we mm-hmm. divide the world into us and them on so many different levels. And I think that part of, um, the beauty of world communion Sunday is we get past some of that culturally. Um, you know, I mean, we, and we can get into all kinds of political discussions around <laughs> that, which we probably shouldn't. But then, like theologically, it's the same. It's the same way. Mm-hmm. Now, is there some truly destructive theology? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I do think there's. I mean, I, it's going to sound like a contradiction, but I do think there's, there's some limitations to that. But they're not nearly as uh, many of those as maybe we sometimes think. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. I would agree with that. Okay, so you make some comparison. What happens in uh, the Mark text to the miracles with food to the journey in the promised land. Yeah. You talk about those similarities or parallels. Yeah. Can you talk about those. Yeah. So, you know, part of the fun of Bible study is taking the same story. So this, in the sermon, I made the point that this feeding of the multitude, which is, I mean, do you think that's his most famous miracle? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it's probably the one that even non-Christians know something about, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't you say? I Yeah. Ashley, what do you think about that? Although a lot of t-shirts that women wear are like, I turned water into wine. That one's gotten a little bit more uh, <laughs> airtime. Can you ask the question more? <laughs> so is this his most famous miracle? I mean, even even non-Christians know something about fishes and loaves, right? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like the, I feel like water and wine, because everybody jokes about that. Everyone jokes about it. Jesus was here. Look. <laughs> it's about parties. Yeah, so. it's about parties. I mean, I think this is pretty common, but I don't know if it's that common. I mean, it's the only so it's the only one that appears in all four gospels. Yeah, that's a thing that gives a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, maybe water into wine. I don't know. I don't know about that. Hmm. A recovering alcoholic would say the miracle is actually that he turned the wine into water. <laughs> Not a minor point. Yeah. And so anyway, um, so part. The, what I started to say was part of the fun of having four versions of the story is you can do a kind of a deep dive on the distinctions in those details. So the way Mark tells the story, um, and we won't get into a comparative analysis thing here, but Mark starts with this connection to the Old Testament by being very specific that Jesus and the disciples are going into the wilderness, uh, even though they end up on the shore. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that the crowd follows them there. So they all end up presumably in the wilderness. And then he feeds them, which is just like the feeding of the Israelites in the desert okay. with God. That's what you're alluding to. And then he ends with a very clear connection to communion. He takes the bread, breaks the bread, mm-hmm. gives the bread, gives it to his disciples. Literally is what it says. Yeah. <laughs> which is the, literally the, litur- the liturgy that we use for communion. Um, so, you know, the connection that I made in the sermon was if if the miracle of the feeding in the wilderness, like the Old Testament story from Exodus, is that God like met the physical needs mm-hmm. for food of the people. Then the miracle of the um, of this later one. I mean, there's <clears throat> there's obviously the feeding, the meeting the physical needs, but because it's got such clear connections to communion, you can kind of make a spiritual metaphor for it as well, mm-hmm. and which certainly applies on World Communion Sunday because yeah. all around the world, Jesus is present at every single table, meeting the spiritual needs of the people who come through this tangible means of grace. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay. So let's talk about this miracle. Have you wrestled with this story or struggled to believe that it happened? Or are you like, yeah, for sure. I have no problem believing this miracle. Talk about that. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> so it's a really good question. Cause mm-hmm. I think modern, I think postmodern people, hmm, let's change that in modernity where everything has to be proven. Mm-hmm. There was a people. There were people who just flat out had a hard time believing the more fantastic details in the New Testament. Like postmoderns are more comfortable with ambiguity. I think just in terms of philosophical analysis, I think that's true. Um, I'm pretty orthodox though when I read the New Testament, and so um, like I, I I'd like doing the deep dive on the Bible study and and trying to to tease out what what's historical versus what each of the individual authors is making their own for their own place and time. Um, and there's lots of examples of that, but I've, I've never really questioned whether the miracles happened. Okay. I, get, I, um, I believe that he walked on water. I believe that he healed people. I believe that he casted out demons. I believe that he multiplied the fish and loaves. And um, I mean, if, if, you know, if I get to, when, when I get to meet him someday, if it turns out, he says, Oh no, Mark made all that up. <laughs> he was just bragging on me. Yeah. That wouldn't change my, like it wouldn't shake my faith if I learned that it didn't happen historically. Right. Um, but I don't, I, I think God has the power to do whatever God chooses to do. So if that's, yeah. So if that story was not true, you wouldn't be like, well, that was a waste. I can't believe I believed. So I wouldn't use the word true though. I would use the word like historically okay. accurate. Okay. Right. Cause I that's do think, fair. yeah, I do think there's a distinction between like historical fact. Okay. Like what the thing that actually transpired and the truth behind it. And so the theological truth here is that Jesus meets the needs of the people. And, um, I mean, some people who read it maybe in a more secular way, I think you could probably say a theologically liberal way would say, um, well, then maybe, maybe the way the people got fed is because everyone shared what they had, Mm -hmm. right. To make it a very like tactile, like we have the power to. To, to share, mm-hmm. which I, that's fine. I mean, that's a good way to preach that text. Um, but I, you know, is Jesus fully human or fully divine? He was both. And so if he wants to walk on water, he can walk on water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if he wants to multiply fish and loaves, he can do that. Yeah. No, just, so, uh, my Monday morning woman's Bible started reading this book. The Bible tells me so. Yeah. 
And it's been a really great conversation. And so we're kind of, we've touched a little bit on this because he kind of goes through some things that are like, well, maybe this actually didn't happen this way. And so just having that discussion, okay, how do we explain to someone about the fish and loaves? No, not particularly fish and loaves, but like, mm-hmm. um, like how, how would I say, well, I totally believe that this happened, like he multiplied, but I, I don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Like, how oh. do you, you know, how do you explain like, well, how can you believe that happened? But you could say, oh, that didn't really, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, so we've just had a really great discussion yeah, yeah. about how do you make that distinction? I don't <laughs> know. And it's, it's kind of hard. Um, it well, is hard. No, I, I totally, I totally agree that it's hard. I think, but I think what makes it hard is the way we tend to read things. <clears throat> we read things either as fiction or nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is, I mean, doesn't fit neatly into those categories. Mm-mm. And so, um, you know, I mean, theologically, we would say that you read it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? I, mean, I mean, the Spirit's guiding the reading just like the Spirit guided the writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I would argue, like, literally, in, in exactly the same way as the Holy Spirit was with the authors of these texts, the Holy Spirit is with us. And so um, it can be, uh, I mean, deconstruction is a word there that you could probably use. Like when you're rethinking how you were taught something mm-hmm. and then trying to um, kind of reassemble it in your own theological understanding, that can be a little unnerving. Mm-hmm. But I do think there are, um, you know, there are differences in era and purpose for the writing. Like the story of Jonah doesn't serve the same theological function in the Bible as the stories of Jesus do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think, uh, but he didn't say it's Peter ends. Right. Yeah. He didn't say he has, has he talked about miracles? Um, not really yet. Not yet. But we just kind of started to talk a, l- a little bit about that tiptoed in that conversation today. I mean, specifically when we're talking about Jesus, I, I feel differently about the story, of the stories of the resurrection than I do about the birth narratives. Like I think those, those are functioning differently theologically. And so, um, yeah. Okay. It's not easy work. No, it's not. But it's really life giving. Yeah. And I think it's important Uh and really important work. Yeah. But okay. So what about you? You believe it? What? The miracle? Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe it's because I'm like, I fully believe that Jesus was fully God. Mm -hmm. So it's easier for me to be like, well, yeah. Um, But one thing we've talked about is that, okay, let's say some certain thing didn't happen exactly. Does it actually change my whole viewpoint of who Christ is? Right. No, because I don't put all my faith in, well, this story has to happen exactly. If this didn't happen, then everything right. crumbles. Yeah. Your faith's not in the Bible. Right. That's really, I mean, it's not. Yeah. And that's, that's a hard message sometimes, certainly for people who are raised in more fundamentalist traditions. Mm-hmm. Our faith's in Christ. Yeah. And the Bible helps, um, helps us to live out that relationship. Mm-hmm. Our faith's not in the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And I, and, I mean, it's the most important book in my life because it reveals Christ. Um, but it's an, yeah, it's an interesting distinction. And this is one of those ones where this difference actually does matter how you read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause you, it, it takes you in different directions a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Another quote from your sermon. <laughs> he didn't even pay me to do this. I actually, this was all on me. Okay. All of us, no matter our social location, history, circumstance, current challenges, all of us are in search of and in need of mm-hmm. something that we cannot provide on our own. That need changes over time, depending on what's going on in our lives, but it's always there. Mm-hmm. 
And it is at our point of need that Christ meets us with compassion, giving us food for our spiritual journey. There's always enough and is always what we need. So how... I mean, that's pretty awesome. Not the wording. But the, <laughs> that truth is... That, I mean, that's... Yeah. Like, that is the that is the, the crux of our relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So how have your needs um, changed over time? What do you think? Oh, man. I mean, so... <laughs> Gosh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be flip flippant, but yeah. you could say how, how have they not changed over time, mm-hmm. you know, because you're when you're young, you like say before you're I mean, when you're a kid, you're just wanting people to tell you what is true and not true. And then once you become old enough to start assimilating these ideas for for yourself like that, you know, my crisis of faith was having very dear family members in multiple different traditions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of mind bendy, especially both of those traditions think that they're the ones that are right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it'd be one thing if I had a Presbyterian and a Methodist. Right. <laughs> but so anyway, um, the, the need then was for maybe discernment and clarity. And then, um, I went through a whole long discernment process about what I wanted to do with my life. And I needed my spiritual need then was discernment of a different variety. And now, um, over the course of, you know, serving as an ordained ministry, it's about how best to serve the community of faith and how best to balance the demands of ministry with family life. And, um, I mean, I guess all of those come down to some kind of guidance. Uh, but when you go through a personal tragedy, you get the need for assurance. Um, when you've, when you're, um, at a crisis moment, like a personal crisis moment, you need peace and comfort. And, uh, the Holy Spirit is, the the person of the Trinity who's with us in all of those needs, helping us to make sense of the world and our place in it. And, um, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know how people without faith get through life. Honestly, I, I don't it, just because it's been so central to my own life long before I was a, a pastor. Um, but I, I think that's the, like, if you're, if you come to the table open and listening and willing and seeking and searching and arguing and debating and all those things, then that's where God meets us in Christ. Obviously we believe mm-hmm. as Christians. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Yeah. I mean, um, I think for a long time, uh, when I was really growing a lot, like when I first started taking my faith really seriously in college, I really needed a God to show me like, how, how do I live? <laughs> like I really needed that. Like, mm. And probably more strict. I, I lived, you know, I'm still, I mean, I don't know, disciplined in, in certain things, but I, I really needed to like almost feel that like conviction of like how to live and what to believe and what to think. Looking back, I'm like, huh, oh, could have used a little bit more gray, <laughs> but <laughs> I was really searching because I think I really wanted to live a life that was glorifying to mm-hmm. God. So I really needed that like instruction. Um, but through that, I got the like foundational of what I believe that very orthodox belief. Mm -hmm. And so thankful for that. And then I think as I got older, um, even like once I think got married, I was like, okay, God, I need, I need to show, I need to learn how to be a good partner and be this, you know, how do I be sacrificial and how do I compromise? Like all these things of like, how do I actually share, (laughs) share Mm -hmm. and now like raising kids, asking God, okay, show me how, how do I pass on some good good (laughs) things? Uh, What it, you know, things that I've gotten wrong, how to, how can I teach my kid to love you and be, um, a light in the world? Um, because as a, as a child, 
that wasn't the forefront of like my teaching from like my parents. Um, and I want to be able to do that. And so Hmm. figuring out like how to teach well and what do I say? What do I not shield them from? What, you know, so all that kind of stuff, I guess. That's good. Yeah. And and 20 years from now, we'll be worried about different things. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. I said, this is maybe a cheesy question, but what has God seemed to multiply in your life? Um, so I think maybe I would come at that a little differently. Okay. Um, I think the thing that I'm clearest, nah, not clearest about, that's that's overstating it. But one of the things that's very clear to me at this stage of my spiritual journey, or yeah, this leg of my spiritual <laughs> journey or whatever, is uh, that there's, in my experience, and I'm very blessed mm-hmm. <laughs> in countless ways, but there's always enough. <laughs> and I think, I think the the world, I think society, I think, um, maybe even the way we, uh, I don't know, we're, we live in such a hyper competitive kind of dog eat dog kind of focused on our own glory and needs that I think it's, it's hard not to show up as an adult with a, um, like a scarcity mindset, the idea that there's not enough for everybody and I got to work hard to get mine and if if you have more, I have less. I mean, this mm-hmm. kind of way of looking at the world and I don't think it's an intentional thing, but I think we're, I think we're kind of wired that way. And the, I think what, one of the lessons of the story is that there's, there's always enough and there's always, it's always what we need. And it's not magic, but it is sacred that there's a way in which God comes to us and if we're listening and if we're faithful and take the next steps and you know do the next right thing and all all those kind of clichés that i think we taught we're taught as we're seeking spiritual maturity that um that our needs will be met spiritually i mean some somewhat materially i mean mm-hmm. we'll get into stewardship <laughs> stuff in the next 3 weeks but um i think the farther i the farther along i've gotten or the longer i've been practicing christian principles the less i get bogged down by a scarcity mindset. That to me is, um, I think an underlying point of the story. Okay. What do you think? No, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially in America, probably in general. Yeah. 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 And I, like our economic system is kind of set up that way. I mean, I don't know, maybe, or maybe we just perceive it to be that way. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. So then how do we live differently? How, you know, we're called to live differently. And I think this is a, a promise. There's a, a kind of an inherent promise in this story that appears in all four gospels. The only one of his miracles in Galilee that does that, um, we probably don't need to worry quite so much. It doesn't just show up here. It shows up in the Sermon on the Mount where he, you know, he says, you need to be provided. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul in Philippians says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I mean, that, that kind of confidence that, uh, that it's going to be okay is a much calmer and more peaceful way to live than I think, you know, I, I just think back to when I got out of the Navy, I was 26. Um, I was doing my new, uh, new employee orientation at the consulting firm I was working for. And as a, you know, in my middle twenties, it was all about, Oh my God, are you going to have enough money for retirement? You know, <laughs> and you have to be putting about way this much money and you have to invest it in these ways. And we get kind of like, I don't know, we get the planning's really important, but we get so, um, 
motivated maybe more by fear and scarcity than we mm-hmm. do by the abundance that God has for us. And, um, so I think I, I prefer Jesus way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good way, but it's, it's hard. You really have to kind of train yourself. It doesn't come by naturally. I really, I mean, I think <laughs> we're just, we're kind of, we're caught. It's not intentional. We don't, I don't think we do it that intentionally, mm-hmm. but I think, um, <laughs> there's just something about the systems in which we operate that, um, that do not have that fundamental Christian teaching at the heart of it. So, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's all I have. Does it make you want seafood tonight? <laughs> we're just gonna have fish sticks. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. <laughs> I know you. I know how you feel about fish sticks. You can go home and have scallops and mussels. Totally. Sourdough bread. Yep. Um, I don't know what we're not. Don't know what we're having for dinner tonight. <laughs> it won't be lobster. Though. Won't be lobster. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next week we start a three-week series on its stewardship, but it's also on the. Um, what do you call it? Mission statement of the church, loving God, serving mm-hmm. others, transforming lives. Yep. Mm-hmm. So next week's on, on loving God and we'll be in week two of our little Mark run. <laughs> Cause I've, I didn't say it from the pulpit, but Mark's my least favorite gospel. <laughs> so uh, I didn't intentionally avoid, avoid preaching from Mark this year, but, um, I de facto <laughs> did not <laughs> preach from Mark. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to, uh, make sure Mark gets a little airtime for the next three, next three weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, welcome back. Thanks. Uh, I look forward to um, my next visit to Maine. Mm-hmm. It's on my list, although I'm a little bummed about the colors thing you yeah, brought sorry. up. Yeah, sorry about that. All right. Ashley, <laughs> anything else? Nope, that's it. I'm looking forward to this week. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us again this week, y'all. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Offscript. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.